1: Hi. Hi. This is Gwendolyn. Gwendolyn Galsworth. I'm your host at The Visual Workplace, our weekly radio show where we explore how to make the workplace speak. We look at principles and practices. We look at concepts and tools. We do tutorials. We interview people from time to time. I've been traveling a lot and really enjoying it a great deal, spreading the word about visuality. So our interviews have been minimized and our tutorials have gone up because I'm able to do that by myself and um, even pre-recorded if I happen to be on a plane during our airtime. Today is live. Today you have an opportunity to call in. Today is our mailbag show. It's our first mailbag show. And even though you haven't been com- calling in and I've been complaining about that, <laughs> you have been emailing. And we have some really good questions. I've selected five of them. I think we may be able to cover those five during this hour. And I have a sixth one in reserve in case we have a little bit of extra time. So I've kind of selected these based on the uh, quality of the question, the depth of the question, and also um, if I've seen it more than once, um, then I know that there's a pretty strong interest. Uh, just a few words about what's going on with the visual workplace over the next couple of months. That is the kind of work that I've been doing out in the world. We have a public seminar. I'm doing one right now in Boston with Lean Enterprise Institute, LEI. Tomorrow we go to Vibco. We're doing uh, an assessment. Uh, the people who came today will do an assessment. We'll talk about their findings. We'll kind of map out a plan for Vibco vibrators. This is Carl Waddenston's uh, plant in uh, Wyoming, Rhode Island, isn't that interesting, Wyoming, Rhode Island, and uh, they have a very strong implementation of um, waste reduction, beginning to move strongly into LEAN, the principles and practices of LEAN, and now looking ahead, they're ready to take on VISUAL. You don't always have to do it in that order. You can start with visual and move to lean or start with lean and move to visual. But eventually you want to have both of them. Like the two wings of a bird, they work together. They're great partners, hand in hand, wing, wing to wing. Neither wing is more important than the other. The bird will tell you that won't be able to fly if there, if it has only one wing or the wings are out of balance. So we want to have a good balance in visual, a good balance in lean. Lean the critical path and pull visual the wing about information and adherence. So we've been, um, we're here now, we're going to be uh, in the UK in the middle of April and I just found out this morning I'll be at, in the UK again at the middle, uh, at the end of May, doing another uh, plant tour and seminar. So folks in England, if you want to catch us up, check our website. That hasn't appeared yet on our website because we just found out about it this morning. And um, we look forward to it. I'm also going to be uh, starting a new book this summer on visual leadership. The last two or three shows that we've been doing has been on, have been on doorway four, what we call the executive doorway into the visual workplace which is visual metrics visual problem solving and the whole ocean piece how can leaders use structure to be more effective leaders and also to communicate more effectively the horizon the pacing the valence of their drive how to drive basically and I do want to mention that uh, I pulled the show from last week. I listened to it. It had just a little bit too much energy and was just too noisy for the radio. And I'm going to be re-recording it next Friday. And it will be available to you in about 10 days. That's the show that is on the three tools that structure um, leadership into visual leadership. I Actually, we'll be mentioning them again uh, just um Uh, lightly not as descriptions but as a kind of hooks or anchors in one of our questions my responses to one of our questions so um, I'm really glad you're here I'm glad you're taking time out to learn more about the visual workplace I hope you're implementing and I want to thank you very very much for the questions that you've been sending by email and I know eventually that will roll over into let me call in and ask a question myself right now in real time and get my real-time answer I know that's coming and I'm really glad so let's begin with uh, these questions And I'm going to give you the best answer, I know how. And if you want to call in in the middle of it and share your point of view or your experiences, wow, that would be wonderful. The call-in number is 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790. So here's question number one. What do I do when my boss says he wants me to be creative and then floods me with his ideas? And this is an actual question happened in Australia uh, in a very fine company with a very fine leader. But this leader had a particular profile. We're going to talk about it now. The leader was bursting with ideas. And even though he wanted others to also be creative, they felt overwhelmed by his creativity. Almost always when I get a question like this and probe a little deeper, we find a strong, well-meaning boss who is highly creative. We also find employees who want to give and give a lot. They want to make a contribution. But to this boss, solutions occur a mile a minute. Solutions to what's challenging his plant. Solutions related to customer happiness and retention, loyalty. Solutions about operational processes and operational details. Even solutions about us, what will make us happier, more productive. So this is a boss who is always kind of looking for solutions. And there's a name for such boss, for such a boss, for such bosses. They're called entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurial boss. Their nature is to engage life and work creatively, to solve it, to make it their own, to gobble it up. And they sometimes gobble us up in the process. (laughs) It's not a pleasant experience for us. But it is fairly satisfying for the entrepreneur, for our boss. Because with entrepreneurs, they believe that if they think it and they say it, it will happen. Entrepreneurs are magical thinkers. They believe in magic. They won't say it this way. But they believe if they say it, it is so. They believe in the power of their own will and their own creativity to change reality. It's really interesting to watch. It's not much fun to work under. And they are typically super smart and very good at words. So they're able to articulate their solutions and be very persuasive. They have ideas like nobody's business. They out, outpace most of us. Hmm? What they are not, or at least what they have not yet learned to be, are three important things that will actually help their ideas and make them a goal. First of all, they have not learned patience. <laughs> Secondly, they usually have not learned structure and the power of structure to house their thinking to house their thinking in forms that will allow them to translate their ideas into actuality. They haven't learned about intellectual or idea architecture. It's the kind of thing we were talking about in our last show when we were talking about how leaders can use structure, these three tools. I'm going to go over them in a moment, but the last show, the one that I'm re-recording next week, really captures that much more fully. And here's something else they haven't learned. They haven't learned that other people are truly creative and burning with ideas and can and will perform to a high level and beyond, but barely in the same way that they do. In other words, they have different solutions to the same problems. Entrepreneurial leaders haven't really learned this, and in a way, You could say they haven't learned to trust. They haven't learned to trust their fellow human beings. They want to. And some of them almost trust us, but some of them really don't. Entrepreneurial bosses can be very blaming, very shaming. And if they are more refined than that, they are almost always anyway frustrated. And as a result of that, and this is important, they rarely lead. They dwell, they worry, they fret, they allege, they're not happy. They can't make people do their will. That means the will of their, of them. They have the makings to be a great leader because most of them are charismatic. They're super smart. They have vision, but they don't know how to use structure to house they're thinking, and so they kind of dump on people. I understand having an entrepreneurial boss can really be a misery inducing experience. i've met many of them as CEOs and presidents, even owners of the companies I've been asked to help. And But only once was my direct boss such a person. We used to call him Typhoid Mary because he, <laughs> he would go around and dump his ideas on you and feel really good about that, and you would be staggering. You'd feel as though you just caught a disease. He would be fine, and we would be, you know, overwhelmed. Entrepreneurial leaders are also innocent. They actually don't know what their negative impact is on people. And few of us have the guts or the permission to talk to him or her and tell them so. They're not aware of this dilemma. They appear to be arrogant, but most are not. They're simply not in control that makes them feel uncomfortable. So what, what I advise to do, and I think we have to pick this up after the break, I'm going to once again revisit those three structured tools of Doorway 4 because it is in these structures that the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial boss can capture his or her creativity and then lead us so this will be just a quick reminder and then we'll move on to uh, question two see you in a minute thanks
0: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to turning hard times into good times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn, and here we are. We're on our mailbag show You've sent in some questions. We've got some answers. We're going through five emailed-in questions, and if we have time, we'll do the sixth one. Right before the break, we were talking about what to do with a boss who has high entrepreneurial needs, who thinks a lot, who is very creati- creative, and who kind of gets in the way of our own creativity because he supplies the solution or she supplies the solution to everyone. Too much advice, too much solution doesn't give us time to do our own thinking. And I want you to be very sympathetic about a boss like this. This kind of a boss is really exploding with energy and eagerness and exuberance. And what we need to do is give the boss a structure to put his or her ideas in, a kind of framework, a skeleton to hang the flesh on, to hang the ideas on, to hang the vision on, and the energy. And the three tools which we talked about uh, last time were the business systems template. It's called the business systems improvement template. It basically is the house that you see everywhere, like the house of Toyota. But as we talked about last week, we want the boss to recreate that house from scratch. If you're given a house, then you disassemble it, and you figure out how the pieces fit together, and you reassemble it. So you get to know the connection between customer, strategy, um, metric, tactical focuses, and tools. You get to know what that connection is. Everything can fit in that. That's the big picture, the big vision. The second structure that creates more refinement will be the X-Type ma- matrix. It is an equally important format, but it is a step into more specificity. And you can use anything like the X-type matrix, any kind of a cascade down. You may be familiar with the term hotion deployment. And it forces the entrepreneur to do that which he cannot do without without help. He can't do this without the help of a format, a structure, and that is to say yes to the few and wait to the many. It's a big problem for entrepreneurs because they want to say yes to everything. And you know what? They see you as the people who are going to implement it. But you get confusing signals. You get competing priorities. You can't focus. And basically what the entrepreneur has done is kind of dumped his brain or her brain into your lap. And then the third tool, which is very important, so the entrepreneur will know that his or her message is getting out, is the operations roadmap, which is another step down, a user-friendly form. These are all structures, and they are part of creating structure or an architecture for our leadership so that the leadership becomes what I call visual. So that's the way I would respond to if you've got an entrepreneur boss like that, you have to shift him into using structure to hold this massive creativity. Otherwise, you will be flooded and the organization will drown and not be able to really accomplish its goals. So it's a very serious problem. And you know what? It blindsides us because it looks as though the leader is full of forward movement. But in fact, these ideas pool and they get in the way. They get tangled up because they can't be actualized. They can't be deployed. Okay, so these are deployment frameworks. Hope that helps. Thanks for the question. (laughs) You know who. (laughs) I know who too. (laughs) Question number two. Can I use visuality to get other people to do what they're supposed to do, like show up to meetings on time? This is a very pointed question. Can I use visuality to get people to show up to meetings on time? Very, very specific outcome. We want to... Translate. We want to use a visual device to get that exact behavior. And the short and sweet answer is yes, 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 you can. So I want to outline to you how this is done and give you some principles of getting people to do the right thing, even something as, um, difficult as getting people to show up to meetings on time. Okay. So I'm going to give you the kind of profile of a device that contains these principles. And you can use them. You can use these principles to get people to do other things that are right. But here's the first principle. The first principle is to make that requirement physical, to make it tangible, to create an actual tangible format. It's going to be a piece of paper. It's going to be a grid. And in that grid, in the cells, you describe the good behaviors and the bad behaviors. You write clearly, boldly, simply, complete sentences. And it goes something like this. Did you arrive at the agreed-upon appointed time for today's meeting? That's the question underneath the person's name. Or you can make it. I did arrive at the appointed time, agreed-upon appointed time to this meeting, or the next cell, I did not arrive at the appointed time. So that's the first part, to make it very physical, to make a format, piece of paper. I arrived on time. I did not arrive on time. There's a kind of go, no, go choice. Step three. So that's step three. I'm sorry, that's step two. Step three is, this is really important, you don't fill in the answer. The person whose behavior is being indicated fills in the answer. The person, Mary Ann. Did I arrive on time today? Did I not arrive on time today? They put an X in the correct box. Or they put a dot, black dot for not arrive on time, green dot for arrive on time. Or you can use mauve or a blush pink. It doesn't matter. But here's the point, and this is step four. It's really embedded in step three. It's self-report. You don't fill in that answer again, that person, the name Marianne, Gwendolyn, George, fills in the answer. And so you can see at a glance by the person's own self-report, their self-report on their own behavior, and they do this before they sit down. They do it before they sit down, on their way in. When you do this, you know what happens? You don't have to follow up with people. You don't have to track them down. You don't have to come after them. You leave the format in place for week one. It's there when you do week two, the next meeting, the third meeting, the fourth meeting, the fifth meeting. There is self-report, personal feedback on my behavior for me to see and for everyone else to see. You do it very quietly. You don't make a big deal out of it. There's no blame. There's no shame. You just report the facts. And I report the facts. Each person reports the facts. Very, very simple. In this way, your meetings already have that piece of business out of the way. And you know what? You can do this. You can use – so do you see how that works? And you can use this kind of a format to do other things. You can do use this kind of a format for meetings that you have with your operational team or your planners or your supervisors. You set up a grid in advance, and before people sit down, they post a status or, if you will, of balance for a particular project or for their line. For ex- and you can even do this. You know, some supervisors and and uh, production chiefs meet once a day, and you can decide that on Monday you're going to focus on material availability, on Tuesday capacity, on uh, Wednesday quality issues, on Thursday maybe improvement, and Friday maybe safety or Manning. And before each of your supervisors sit down, sit down, they go to the grid that you've prepared. And they put in their status, their valence, simple as green, a on material availability, or red or yellow, before they sit down. So you already know where things stand in very broad strokes, and you can focus on the reds, for example. If there are no reds, then the yellows, okay? And you're using a physical format to help you get people to self-report so that the meeting becomes much more efficient and has substance. In the first case, you're getting people to arrive on time by simply self-reporting whether they did or they didn't, they did or they didn't, meeting after meeting. In the second case, you're going for another dimension and you're getting people to report status so that the meeting time itself can be used more efficiently. And then you can go on from there. You can make iterations. So the answer is yes, you can do, you can change people's behavior and help people acquire better behaviors through visuality in a very non-threatening way, a very simple way, in a way that will help them and help you. So that's how I would respond to question number two. (laughs) Now let's look at question number three. Question, this is kind of a whole riff that we're going to be. There's about three of these questions that have to do with 5S and audits and standards around 5S. Some of these we have covered in our sessions on 5S, but the questions have come back, so I think we just need to kind of hit them again. Here's question number three. How come 5S dwells on neat and clean? And how can I get beyond that when that's all our audits look for is neat and clean? What a great question. How come 5S dwells on neat and clean, and how can I get beyond that when the audits seem to support neat and clean? I am surprised at how persistent this question remains. As I said, I spent, what, four or five shows on this issue And I'm not saying that all of the answers are right ones or complete ones. But I do know that many many companies, many people are challenged by this. So, here we go. First, I want to just say, this is what my experience has been. 5S is actually not just about neat and clean. The 5S that has deep roots in Japan is about capturing order in the workplace and the supporting housekeeping behaviors, and that includes orderliness. In Japan, it's not just used to help create. In fact, it's not used to create an aligned work culture the way we try to use 5S in the West or engage in operator creativity and contribution. Japanese companies... The great Japanese companies have other mechanisms for that. But in Japan, 5S is a plain purpose, and that is housekeeping and orderliness. And when 5S came to the West from Japan in the early 1980s, late 1970s, it was promoted that way. And we're moving into a break, and we'll pick this up as soon as we get back.
0: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website, again, is visualworkplace.com. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author, working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. We're listening to The Visual Workplace, Work That Makes Sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi, this is Gwendolyn. We're on our first mailbag show Meaning that we are answering some of the questions that you mailed in, emailed in for us to consider. Right now we're looking at the question of 5S and audits and 5S that only kind of does neat and clean and gets a little bit stuck there. I'll tell you at the seminar today we had about 40 or 50 people there. This came up Eight times, nine times, ten times. It's a very real issue. And I think if we change our mind about what 5S is supposed to do and also what the audit is going to do, we can continue using 5S and we can continue using audits but tweaked. So when 5S came from Japan in the early 1980s, late 1970s, it was promoted as housekeeping And then people began to develop it further and add things to it, and I think rightly so. But the things that they added did not help the 5S go deeper. They added things like simplify and standardize. They kind of made 5S hold information or um, practices, principles related to lean as compared to visuality. Many Western companies were very successful with that approach, but others, many others, failed and withdrew. They swore off 5S forever, and still others limped along with a 5S that didn't exactly work but was also important enough to keep, and anyway, it was part of the cult- company culture. Anyway, you know which one of these companies fits you. Many of the companies that stuck with 5S simply couldn't find a way to be active about the steps, the steps that happened after neat and clean. So they just stayed there. And somewhere along the way in the the late 1980s, folks started creating audits. And as far as I can pinpoint, they were based on a five-point audit scale found in a great book by Kobayashi called The 20 Keys. It's a great book presented an interesting five-point scale, and people cloned it onto 5S. Managers did. Managers love audits. It's part of managing. <laughs> Managers love audits. They love exercising audits, and those who are being audited typically have the opposite response. <laughs> so for the most part, for a year or two, the managers and the operators kind of went along with the audit. But then after a while, the audits really began to fail. Managers despaired, operators despaired, but corporate or some big Macky mac wanted the audits to stay in place because managers love audits. But the problem with the audits is that the audits didn't produce a next level. They didn't roll over into a more progressive version of five, as they didn't deepen, and one of the problems was that the audits audited tasks. You do this. I'm sorry. Did you do this? Did you not do this? Did you do this? Did you do not do this? Based on a five point scale. So, the first part is if you're currently if you currently have an audit that is looking at at neat and clean as the kind of central piece, shift the focus to some other principles of visuality. Things that we've talked about in this show, if you were to talk, listen to the show again, you would pick up 20 or 30 principles. Let your audit be about principles, things like design to task, store things not air, point of use, color code to task. And instead of having a five-point scale that grades people, let the scale be, to what extent is this principle in place? So instead of auditing tasks, was this task done? Was it done well? It's, is this principle in place? Is it robustly in place? Do we just see the beginning? Does it seem to have grabbed that that's when the scale becomes useful and more progressive. It guides us, and done well, it will actually drive us. It'll drive new levels, and eventually it'll drive us to excellence. So your question, you who sent in, and there were three people who sent in questions that were very similar to this about audits and 5S. I hope that this gives you a response that you can operationalize. And the second part of it is, is can you get beyond neat and clean? And I say yes, you add other dimensions to your audit. You intentionally add dimensions that are visual, very similar to what we said before. But it would be like, do all frequently used shelves have complete addresses? Do arrows clarify location of up and down? Can items be found by non-area personnel within 30 seconds of the start. This is another way to utilize the, the audit so that you are supporting progress, not just tracking behavior, actually initiating or if you will, triggering higher levels of, uh, utilization. And you know what? If people are really f- fed up with 5S, begin to make a simple change. Change the name from the 5S audit to the 5S visual or the visual 5S audit and begin, I know I talked about it in our show about 5S, begin to get the word visual into the audit process and you will be surprised at what innovation that that alone can trigger. You might even... Uh, <laughs> you might even want to add a line item that would say something like, um, this is one of my favorites, to what extent is there evidence of really weird solutions in this area? <laughs> what we mean is really innovative, really um, inventive solutions in this area. To what extent is there evidence of mini systems, of a cluster of visual devices all aimed at a single performance outcome? You see it in that way, you're beginning to deepen the visuality and also deepen the description of what 5S is behind, beyond just labels and lines. And one more word about audits. If they are pretty much a part of the way things are done now, they're pretty much a part of your kind of week and month, don't simply stop them. Don't drop them because they're either inconvenient or difficult. Because you have a lot of personal stock as managers and leaders and supervisors in promoting this. It is destabilizing to just pull this out because suddenly you see things differently. Instead, I want to advise you to ease away from one audit and ease another one in place. But it might be a self-audit. It might be a checklist that is self-administered instead of administered by a group outside the area. You experiment with this at first. You figure out how to do it in one department. You work out the bugs. In that department, you start moving the audit away from what doesn't work and towards new additions of what could work. Until you get something fairly robust, you do it in one area. You do your experimentation, you do your learning, and then you try it on a second area. But this whole idea of dropping one thing and beginning another is, it's destructive. It's counterproductive. It will bite you. It will create less credibility, less confidence in the improvement direction of the plant. You have to make these transitions very, very elegantly. Because people have invested a lot of their time, their effort, and their belief in you in following the audits all these years. So don't just turn your back on them. Find an elegant way to ease them. You can fade them out and bring the other one up. I myself very much like the self-administered checklist, administered by the people in the area, administered by the engineers themselves, if, they're, if we're in an engineering group, on a kind of rotating basis. You have people in alphabetical order, and you do uh, Adam and Betty, and then Betty and Charlie. You see we're doing ABC, and then Charlie and David, and then David. You're keeping one person from the previous dotted who holds the history, David and Gwen. You leave David in place, you pair him up with Gwen. You leave Gwen in place and pair her up with Howard. Do something very simple and rotate it so everybody has a chance to make their assessment, to give themselves and give the department a rating, and then pass the baton. This is a very good self-learning, self-leadership exercise. We'll say more about that on another show. Let's move on to our next, our fourth question. And our next question, I'd like it to be about, I just skipped one, but because I, I think we might run out of time and I think this number five question is more important. The number four question was about, um, using the Kaizen Blitz to help operators get more visual. I guess I can answer this very quickly. You can certainly use the Kaizen Blitz format to work on visuality on the operator level, on the engineer level. doesn't matter on supervisory level if we're looking at supervisory processes. But we call it usually a visual blitz. And what it means is you're going to not shut down for a day or two. You're going to have a much shorter amount of time, one and a half, two hours, short, and frequent. You'll have this once a week. And if you don't have time for a full blitz of one and a half to two and a half hours, with maybe shutting down the department or four or five people involved, you'll do something shorter, a micro blitz, with one or two people involved. The second thing is, for the most part, I have found that these visual blitzes are best when they are driven by a hit list, a predetermined set of ideas that people have that they put on a checklist, they put on a hit list, so that they are ready to undertake specific visual changes when the opportunity for a blitz comes along. Maybe there's a machine stoppage, planned or unplanned, and we utilize that time. The hit list helps us focus. So it's very, very simple. And the third most important thing, or as important thing, is that your supplies are at hand. They're in a rolling cart. You can immediately utilize the time, get started. Your supplies are handy. You don't have to pre-organize. They're already there. Okay, so I like the idea of a visual blitz, of having this kind of focus, whether, whether it's a few or the whole department. So, yes, by all means, use that format. So we're going to be sliding into a break in a moment, but let me just set up the question. It's probably the last one we're going to be able to use today, and it's something that comes up constantly. This came up in two letters very, very strongly, and that is what about standardizing our visual devices? Because I said, you know, avoid standardizing visual devices. So what's wrong with standardizing our visual devices, you ask? How are we going to get stability without that? And I'd like to ask the answers, start answering or responding to that question after the break. And I hope it will be helpful because it really is very important that you have the right idea about how to promote visual devices and visual inventiveness that stabilizes but doesn't stop creativity. And we'll pick that up right after the break. Thanks a lot. Talk to you in a minute.
0: To business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program.
1: Hi. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. This is our mailbag show, and we are uh, going through questions that you all have sent in. We're trying to respond to them in a way that's going to be helpful to you to widen your understanding of visuality and also encourage more application, more experimentation, and more uh, more use of the visual paradigm. And uh, my producer just uh, told me, she got my attention and said, Hey, Gwenny, you sound a little bit tired today. I am. I have been on my feet for about 10 hours conducting a seminar and... uh talking about visual pretty much nonstop, but I hope that I'm still making sense and that there's enough energy behind my voice for me to be uh, connecting with you. Uh, forgive me, uh, but um, there are many pipers to pay, and today has been a busy one. So let's move on to what will probably be our last question, and that is, and it's a very interesting question, what is wrong with standardizing our visual devices How can we make our processes reliable without standardization? Well, this is a really good question, but we first have to clear up what is sometimes a common misunderstanding. Maybe you understand these things, but it has to do with a mix-up about words. And the words are the difference between standards, standards of performance, standardizing, standard work, and standardization. Those are five different words words and terms and meetings, standards, standards of performance, standardizing, standard work, and standardization. So let's start with standards. Standards are the bedrock of all work. They are designed step-by-step procedures where the content and the sequence of those steps matters. They matter. When we use standards in this, the term standards in this way, we are not referring to standard hours. That's often used in the bidding or quoting process where we're trying to get an equivalent and we're going to charge this much. It's going to take this much time. No, 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 no. It's more the definition of standard that we were talking about a few shows ago that my sensei Ryuji Fukuda declared to me in the 1980s. He preferred to call a standard a reliable method and he defined a standard procedure or a reliable method like this, a standard or a reliable method is made up of only those elements which, when not followed, result in a predictable defect or waste, made up of only those elements which were not followed. This is a way that we can describe an SOP, a standard operating procedure. It's pretty much what we mean by a standard in the first place, the bedrock of all work, of all repeatability, all reliability, all predictability. So that's the first definition. Standards as the bedrock of work as SOPs. The second is standards of performance. These are associated with, but not the same as SOPs. Standards of performance mean, means the company has established what is acceptable and not acceptable. Usually related to quality, safety, on time delivery. It's a metric of sort, a level of performance that is deemed sufficient to the business model acceptable. Steve Jobs, for example, required outrageously high standards of performance in customer service, in design, in execution. Your company may be aggressive as well in this regard, demanding and exacting standards of performance. Other companies may slip by with a little bit less, but good enough. And whether those levels have been formulated and promoted in your company or are simply, in other words, formulated and communicated or simply known and accepted, we know what good means. That's a different question, whether it's been formalized or it's just kind of tribal think. That's a different question. But there are standards of performance that are accepted and that are used in every organization to define what is good enough. That's standards of performance. Let's move on to the third, standard work. Standard work is related to repeatable work content, but associated with one-piece flow and tack time, the drum beat. The principle is to break down your work into its component substeps, refine each sub-step, step, so that it can be copied and repeated by any operator. It is similar to an SOP, but not exactly. Standard work is very exact. It intentionally removes judgment and interpretation. That is why it is repeatable and uniformly repeat and reliable. It's close to Fukuda's definition of only those elements which were not followed. But the purpose of standard work is a little bit different. The purpose of standard work is to allow you to introduce time and pull, indexed pull, if you will, into the activity we call work. Okay? The fourth word that looks close to everything above is standard standardizing. When we standardize something, it means that we try to make it uniform. We try to make it the same. We try to promote it as a solution. We take, usually it's the act of taking the best and combining it into, uh, the act of taking many of the best things and combining it into a single best. So when we say, don't standardize your visual devices, this is where we land on it. Don't try to make your visual devices uniform and the same across the organization because if you do, you are automatically saying, this is good enough, this is the best we want the solution to be and it cuts off creativity. You avoid using the language or making the effort to standardize a visual solution because you don't want the experimentation to stop. What experimentation? Finding a way to translate information into vital behavior. Finding a way to embed your operational intelligence into the landscape of work. You want that to be an ongoing exploration, you want to encourage it. You don't want to stop it by saying, you know, this is our, this is the way, this is. So making that distinction between standardization, standards, standard work is very, very important. And what I say to you is instead of standardizing a visual device, make it a visual best practice and a temporary one. This is the best today. This is the best we can do. Let's build on it. Let's use it as a baseline. So this is our, this is the kind of the end of our uh, last question. I hope it's been useful to you. This is our first mailbag show. I want you to please keep your emails coming in and we'll collect the questions over the next five or six weeks and see if we can put another mailbag show together. I want to thank you very much for listening in. I want to thank you very much for supporting workplace visuality in your listening but also in your own company by creating visual solutions and by maybe even producing a conversion, leading a conversion of your current workplace into a visual workplace. Hmm? Please remember to stay in touch, Ch- send in your photos, send in your emails, your comments to radio at visualworkplace.com. I look forward to the next time. You bet I do. This is Gwendolyn Galsworth, a little tired, a little winded, signing off until the next time. Thank you everyone.
0: We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galesworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.